Right, uh, we've come to the heart of Luke's gospel. That's what we're studying. Uh, we've been in this uh, for a while. Luke 15, I think it's the heart. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of the whole Bible. Uh, it's the heart of God. The Jewish people, when they pick up this book, it's, it's more than just opening a book and, and seeing words on a page. It's, it's entering the Holy of Holies. And coming to a text like today, I just so feel that. I, I feel like we're entering into the Holy of Holies uh, to study uh, such a text as this, uh, Luke 15. Uh, looking at the parable of the lost son is what we did two weeks ago. And then last week, we looked at the heart of the Father because it's really God's heart that causes anyone to ever return home. Um, we don't first love him. He loves us. And Today, we're going to look at the rest of the story. So let's stand. If you have a Bible like mine, uh, that's what we do here. When we read God's Word, we stand. I have, a, have it on page 849. We're going to start reading at verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back home safe and sound. But the older brother became angry. And he refused to go in. So his father went out, pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed any of your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours... And honestly, he's just saying this loser, this loser son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to party and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. Like I said, this is like we're entering the Holy of Holies. Uh, you may be seated. As we saw two uh, weeks ago, uh, Luke 15 is here to teach us about lostness, what it means to be lost, and conversely, also what it means to be found, and then primarily God's heart in drawing lost people to himself. And when that happens the rejoicing, the partying that this produces in heaven. We also saw that the context of this parable are the first two verses of, of, of Luke 15. So just look at those right now. The tax collectors and the sinners, the sinners, were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the Torah teachers muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus then told them this parable. Again, Jesus created this, this, this tension. It was, 
It was a tension between good religious people and bad rebellious people. In fact, these two groups of people are represented in in the parable of the prodigal. The younger brother, the prodigal, represents the sinners and the tax collectors. The bad people and the older brother represents the religious and the spiritual people, the good people. And I think if we're honest, we do the same thing. We like to order our world in, in, in terms of these categories, good people, bad people. We do it with the people in our schools, the people in our neighborhoods, even the people in our, in our family or extended families. Uh, we do it with people in our workplace. We, we, we place these categories or people in these categories of good and bad. We even do it on the large scale. We make these good and bad generalizations about cultures, people groups, and whole nations. I'll tell you what life has taught me. Life has already taught me that good people are never as good as you think they are, and bad people usually aren't as bad as you think they are. In fact, think about this. Even the worst person in the world still has the image of God in them. And those of us who are born of God, we still sin. But what I think most important here is that God doesn't play this game. This is not the lens at which God looks at life. He doesn't break the world into good people and bad people. The categories of God is there are only lost people and found people. That's why this parable, I think, is, is at the heart of the, the whole Bible, because the Bible isn't here to tell us how bad people can become good. It's here to tell us that we're lost, whether we're good or bad, but that we have a Father who will do whatever it takes to bring us home. And I, if you were here two weeks ago, this is what the first part of this parable teaches us. It's what the prodigal son teaches us. This younger son, through foolish, rebellious, self-indulgent choices, he becomes alienated from home, alienated from his father's heart. He's lost. Because this is what it means to be lost. To be lost is to be alienated from our father, our, our, our heavenly father. To be lost is to be a, a, a long way for, from home, the, the home for which we've been made. And we can see this younger brother lostness a thousand miles away. I mean, all hung over and, 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 and drunk and, and sleeping with prostitutes and, and, and wasting his life away. This is one way of being lost. And the father has to go out. And he runs. He runs to this lost son because he loves him. He embraces him. He kisses him. He, he restores this lost, lost son to himself. He's home. But Jesus isn't telling his parable to prodigals. Jesus is telling this parable to his critics, to the good people, the religious people, the people who are criticizing Jesus, namely for his eating habits. You glutton, you drunkard, what are you doing eating with those people? 
And so Jesus tells them this parable. And I love this because Jesus is saying, eat with them? Eat with them? Oh, it's much worse than that. I run to them. And I throw my arms around them. And I kiss them. And I throw the best robe on them. And I put the ring on their finger. And I call them sons. This is God's heart. God wants to seek and save lost people. And the parable doesn't end here because Jesus really is just getting warmed up. In fact, now he's getting to his main point. And the main point of this parable is going to be made through the older brother. Because the older brother represents his critics, the good people, the religious people, the spiritual people. And the point he's going to make is, you too, good person, are lost. Because look, it's, it, it's, it's right in our text. Look at verse 28. The older brother became very angry and he refused to go in. So the father went out. The father needs to go out just like the shepherd went out to look for the lost sheep. And the woman went out to look for the lost coin. The father went out. Why? Because this older brother too is lost. He's alienated from his father. And like the lost coin and like the lost sheep, someone needs to go out and find him and bring him where he belongs. And so through all of this, Jesus is not only telling us that this older brother is lost, but then he also, through this parable, explains why he is lost. And look at verse 29. Look at what he says. He says, I have not disobeyed one of your commandments. And I think this one phrase sums up the older brother. I've kept the rules. I've done everything expected of me. I'm good. And see, Jesus is here to teach us that this older brother is not lost in spite of his goodness, but he's lost because of his goodness. It's his goodness that's actually alienated him, alienating him from the father. Because through this parable, Jesus is teaching us something profound. There are two ways for us to be lost. We can either be lost as, as a bad person, like this younger brother, or we can be lost as a very good, spiritual, good person, like the older brother. And I'll tell you why this is. When we look beneath our bad behavior... And our good behavior. I oftentimes see the same sin. And it's the same sin that alienates me from God. It's the sin of seeking to be my own master. The sin of being the one and insisting on being the one who calls the shots. It's the sin of seeking to be in control of my life, of being my own Lord, my own Savior. It's the sin of placing self on the throne of my life. And this sin of self is what Paul calls the flesh. And some people mistranslate flesh as, a, as our physical body. That's, that's not what Paul is referring to when he's talking about flesh. Flesh is simply my selfish me. It's myself turned in on itself. Which means the main problem that I have and that we have is not our bad behavior. It's our flesh. It's deeper than our behavior. 
It's our self-centered selves. And this can manifest itself through bad behavior. And oh, can it manifest itself also through good behavior. Because good behavior, like bad behavior, can be every bit all about me. Me, me, me. And that's why we got to look beyond the appearance, because when you look at the appearance of these two sons, these, these, these two brothers, they look so different. One appears bad, the other appears good, yet they both, I think, have the same root sin. It's the sin of self. It's the sin of, the, of self being king and, and taking self too seriously, of, of, of self being too much. Self. And, you know, I, I, I've noticed this, that when we read the Bible... And we look at this group of people called the Pharisees who happen to be the good people in the story, the critics. Um, we, we just automatically think the Pharisees are the worst people in the Bible. But this is what I want you to know about the Pharisees. The Pharisees in Jesus' day are, are your middle-class, Bible-believing, Bible-obeying, synagogue-attending people. These are the ones who spend large chunks of their day in prayer. They fasted to times a week, and they gave a lot of their money away to the poor. In fact, people in Jesus' day were wowed by them and called them Sadiq. Sadiq simply means righteous ones. Jesus, however, called them hypocrites. Because Jesus looked behind all their good spiritual behavior. And he saw their self-righteousness, their self-importance, their taking themselves way too seriously and using their spirituality to exalt themselves. I want this to fall on our hearts today. I want us to see the danger of, of, of good of being good, of living good, the danger of spirituality, the danger of religion, because underneath it all can sometimes be the most selfish sin. And so to all the good and spiritual people in the room, Jesus, through this parable, is sounding a huge warning. Because here's what goodness can do a whole lot better than badness. It can blind us to the lost condition of our soul. It can mask the true condition of our heart. That's scary. Remember the younger brother. His bad behavior at least let him down this, this trail where it says he came to his senses about himself. And as we saw, literally that means he came to the end of himself. And I don't care who you are, how bad you are, how good you are, we all have to come to this place because this is the starting point of repentance. I'm unworthy to be called your son. But this older brother, rather than thinking I'm unworthy, his goodness causes him to think, wow, look how worthy I am. I mean, we hear it in these words when he says, if anyone deserves the fattened calf, it's, it, it, it's me. 
And see, sometimes our goodness and our religion and our spirituality can keep us from the very thing we need to be found and to be in the arms of our Father. Things like brokenness and humility. Which is why this, this, this elder brother never repents. Never repents. Do you know the tragedy of never repenting? Repentance is the very thing that brings us into the arms of God. Repentance is the very thing that unleashes God's love, God's power in our life. It's repentance. And this elder brother can't even get to the starting point of repentance because he isn't thinking how unworthy he is. He's, he's, he's good. And it's his goodness then that alienates him from the Father is this you today? Is it hard for you to see your sin? Is it hard for you to admit your sin? If you can't do those two things, you're never going to repent. Martin Luther said, and he said this for the believer, repentance is not just a one-time thing. He said all of life is repentance. Because this is the way, too, that we have the love of God and the power of God unleashed in our life. But I'll tell you the thing that probably alienates the older brother from his father the most. Look at the verse 29, where he essentially says, I've obeyed you, and then. Where's my party? And I want us to see what he's doing here because he's using his goodness like a weapon to have control, to get from the Father what he thinks he deserves. And see, when we use our goodness to have leverage over people, or namely God, so that we can have control, have the upper hand, to use that to get what we think we deserve, I'm going to tell you something. We're not only going to be as miserable as this old, older brother, but we are going to alienate ourselves from God. And here's what's so dangerous about older brother lostness is that it's so hard to detect. He's not drunk and hungover. He's not sleeping around. He's not living recklessly. He's not in church. He's in church probably every Sunday. But yet Jesus does give us some of the signs and symptoms of, of older brother lostness, starting off in verse 28. Look at verse 28. It says the older brother became angry. He's angry. Why? <laughs> well, Dad, you owe me. See, older brothers are chronically angry. They're, they're angry about their, their own life because... They just think that because of their goodness and spirituality that they then deserve a good life. God, I'm not like those people, those sinners. Look at me. Look at my life. Look at what I give to you. I deserve a good life. 
And see, not only are older, older brothers uh, angry about their own life, but oftentimes they're also angry about other people's lives. Why, why, why do other people get all the breaks, especially all those sinners, those, those bad people? Why do they get the parties? Why do they get dad's attention? Is this you? See, that's the self-righteousness in them that says, I know better. I, I, I know how my life should go. I know how everybody else's life should go. And I know then what I deserve, and, and I know then what they deserve. Is this you? Are you angry? Another sign of, of, of older brother lostness, it's, it's just like the Pharisees in, in, in verse 2, when they see Jesus hanging out with sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes, they become critics. They start judging. Are you a critic? Are you always judging? Judging people, judging churches. Wow, churches are an easy thing to judge. You know what's at the root of judging? Being critical? Basically, when we do this all the time, we're basically telling everybody, hey, everybody, look how insecure I am. The insecurity for the older brother, it's, it's rooting, rooted in his standing with the father. He, he says, you never threw me a, a party. And see, this insecurity comes from a life strategy based on being good. Listen to him. He says, look, I've never disobeyed your orders. Because here's how older brothers think. And before I say it, ask yourself if this is you. Older brothers just think either I'm good and valuable or I'm sinful and worthless. So to feel valuable to feel good about themselves, they have to be good. They have to think that they're good. Is this you? Do you think like this? Do you, do you, do you live by this, that you're either good and valuable or sinful and worthless? Because if it is, I, I want you to think about this. If your worth is based on you and your goodness, you're always going to feel insecure because deep down you're going to know you're never good enough. And therefore, you're not valuable. Which is why you're going to have difficulty forgiving people. It's, it's why you're going to hold grudges. It's why you're going to keep score. Because you have to feel good. You have to be morally and spiritually superior to other people. And then you start thinking, I'd never do that. Are you kidding me? And you can't forgive. But see, when the penny of the gospel drops from my head to my heart... A gospel that tells me that I'm incredibly sinful, yet still incredibly valuable. That God doesn't love me because of how good I am, but God loves me because of how good he is. That it's not about me, and this then becomes the most freeing reality there is in all the world. 
And it means then that I don't have to exalt myself all the time to feel good about myself, nor do I need to knock other people down and slam them to feel good about myself. My goodness is not rooted in me, and my value is not rooted in being good. And therefore, I'm free. Or how about these words from, from, from the older brother? In verse 29, he says to his dad, Dad, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And see, this defines his relationship with his father. It, it, it's really defined by performance and effort and striving because it's all about him. And it's all about his goodness because his value is determined by his goodness. And so rather than having this joyful, restful relationship with the Father. He's on this treadmill of it's got to be better and better and faster and faster. Because the better I am, the more valuable I am. And the more God owes me a good life. In fact, I don't think the son really loves the father. I think he's using the father to get the life that he thinks he deserves. In fact, even when it comes to obeying the fathers, older brothers, they, they, they cringe at obedience because in their minds they know that they have to obey as a means to an end. And, and because of this, obedience then, rather than being this, this delight and, and, and joy to the soul, it becomes just this heavy burden that they need to do and do well without failure. See, Dad, how good I am? I never disobeyed one of your orders. I'll tell you what, this is dangerous stuff that we're talking about. And it's, it, it, it's so significant because it keeps us from God. The very thing that, that, that we think is, is getting God to like us is actually alienating us from God. And I'll push this this far. Jesus just began talking about banquets and who's going to be at the banquet. And when you read this parable, you see that the, the younger brother, the bad one, is at the banquet. But the older brother, he excused himself from it. He never comes in. And Dan Mike, boy, did he give me a thought this week. Powerful. God doesn't do transactional relationships. Relationships that are based on, I'll do this if you do that. Or if I do this, then you have to do that. See, that's how we do our relationships. Almost all our relationships are transactional. We give to get. We perform to earn. We slave away to, to prove our value. Almost everything in our world is transactional, but not with God. Because relationships with God, it's not even about us even, even, even a little bit. 
It's all about him. It's, it, it, it's not about our goodness. It's about his goodness. It's not about our righteousness. It's about his righteousness. It's not what, what we perform and then give to God. It's what God performs and gives to us. And you know the kind of people who can see this and accept this? Prostitutes. Tax collectors. Sinners. Bad people. It's good news. But to good people? Self-righteous people? It's bad news. And this is why Jesus says, he says to, to, to all the good people, he says, listen, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. And so, Christian, we, we, we need to hear the warning that Jesus is sounding. We need to stop taking ourselves so seriously. We need to stop the self-importance. We need to stop trying to earn God's love. We need to stop trying to, to do enough to be valuable. We need to stop trying to be in control of our life through our goodness. We need to stop trying to save ourselves and to sanctify ourselves. We need to stop making this all about me. It's all God. All of it. It's grace. It's grace upon grace. And so my question today is this, when we come to the end of this, it's simple. Have you been found? Have you come to your senses? Have you come to the end of yourself? Bad people and and, and rebellious people know what that is and what that looks like. For good people, coming to the end of ourselves is coming to the end of our self-righteousness. Two weeks ago, I said, prodigals, come home. Today, I'm going to say, all you good, church-attending, Bible-believing Bible-obeying, hand-raising, prayerful, give my life to the poor. Come home. Come home. John Gerstner said something that I heard years ago that just has exploded in my mind. He says, the thing that really separates us from God is so, not so much our sin, but our damnable good works. And just like we need to repent of our sin, we also need to repent of our goodness. We need to repent of the reasons why we're good. That's the first thing elder brothers need to do to come home. Because if being good is our savior, if, if, if being good is the means by which we think we can control our world and, and people and even God himself, right now that's the very thing that we need to give up and lay down. 
We need to repent of our self-righteousness. We need to repent of all of our self-salvation strategies. We need to repent of doing these foolish transactions with God, which make a mockery of His grace. The only thing we give God is our need. Nothing in in these hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. In fact, the Bible teaches there's no such thing as a good person. Just read Romans 1 through 7 this week. Read it. The righteousness that we as Christians have today is the Christ in us, the hope of glory. In fact, there's a whole debate that's, that's taking place. I, I, I know it's taking place in Crossroads. I don't know if it's beyond Crossroads because I don't get outside of Crossroads that much when it comes to, to church world. But this debate, are we sinners or are we saints? And I, I see all the touchiness that, that's also connected to this. I, I, I hear people say, Rod, don't call me a sinner. I'm a saint. I'm this. I'm that. I'm, do you see the sin under that? We're thinking about ourselves way too much. It's not what I am. It's, it's, it's who he is. We're only righteous by an alien righteousness. We're only forgiven by the applied blood of an unblemished lamb. We're only holy by sharing in his holiness. We will never not need Christ all the time, every moment of every day. You see, when we know this, we're... We're set free from always thinking about ourselves and fretting about ourselves. We need to stop thinking about ourselves altogether and just fix our eyes on him. He's he's our righteousness. In Christ alone, I place my trust. We need to get to the Father. He's our heart's true home. We've been made to know him, to know his love. Because this is what it means to be found. You know how he did this? Yeah, our participation in this is repentance. When we repent, we, we, we now are placing ourselves in his arms. We, are, we are, now have... Uh, his love and his power unleashed us through, through repentance, but it still doesn't even start with us. It, it, it starts with God because our father, he's like a shepherd with, with a lost sheep. He's like a woman with a lost coin. He's like a father who lost a precious son. And he came to the world. He sent the true elder brother, the true firstborn son. And he said, son, would you go? Would you find them? Would you bring them home? And if we want to be in the arms of of our father, 
that know his love. The Bible teaches us that we all need an older brother. It just makes me smile. I'm a younger brother. I have an older brother. When I'm talking to him, I'm with him, everything's right in the world. He's my hero. He's my brother. That's the way it is. And I know, if I ever became lost, my brother... come and find me. He'd look for me and he'd say, Rod, it's time to come home. Let's go. During the Vietnam War, there was Army Lieutenant Daniel Dawson, whose reconnaissance plane was shot down when his brother found this out. His brother sold everything he had and went to Vietnam. And he had all these leaflets and he went through the jungles and from village to village. And even the Viet Cong army, when they saw him, they just let him pass through. You know what they called him? The brother. Here's the brother. He's looking for his brother. We have an older brother who left the bosom of the father, who came across all worlds to a faraway country to look for us, and to find us, and to bring us home. And he did this by giving up Everything. Everything. Including his life. And why did he do it? Because you and I are that valuable to him. He loves us. Because he loves us. Because he loves us. So today, if there are any elder brothers who want to repent and come home, do it. The meal is waiting for you, the feast. This is just for older brothers today. Let's pray. God, I pray that every heart today would, would, would have eyes to see the love that you have for us through Jesus Christ who came to show us the face of the Father, the love of the Father, and to bring us home.
in response to that love, God. May every heart here today be able to say, in Christ alone, I place my trust. Amen.